Yo, my name is Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 246. This time around, you are joined by filmmakers and returning guests of the show. These guys are extraordinary. Justin Powell and David Charbonnier. They were here last time with their phenomenal movie, The Gin, which is a must-see. Their newest thrilling horror adventure they've written and directed is called The Boy Behind the Door. The time of release available exclusively on Shudder now. We step inside the creepy craftsman house next to the oil field and look into their terrifying and unique approach to storytelling that captures gripping and unsettling scares with a refreshing sense of whimsy. We talk about their creative process, the amazing talents of their two young stars, Lonnie Chavis and Ezra Dewey, the projects they love to work on, and so much more. We love David and Justin and their one-of-a-kind approach, and we urge you to explore their incredible work and the wonderful The Boy Behind the Door. Episode 246 starts now. Can't wait till we're older. We can leave this place. Where do you want to go? Somewhere where the sun's always shining. Kevin? Kevin, can you hear me? It's me, Bobby. I'm scared, Bobby. Me too, okay? But I'm not gonna leave you. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio are two returning guests to the show. They are phenomenally gifted, award-nominated filmmakers, writers, directors, and producers who have crafted easily a pair of the most compelling horror thrillers made in years, and they are just getting started. Beginning with their short off-season back in 2013, followed by 2015's Best Thriller-nominated Secret Admirer, on their stunning debut feature, they introduced us to the wonderful... Ezra Dewey, who played a mute young boy who battles a dark spirit from within the confines of a small apartment. An incredible movie called The Gin that came out in May of this year, a time of release. It's been called the perfect gateway horror film for the next generation of horror lovers. It's a truly unforgettable showcase of ingenuity and genius, powering impeccable writing and direction. Their new film is called The Boy Behind the Door. Two 12-year-old friends get abducted on their way home from school to find themselves trapped in a nightmare game of cat and mice. It's a further exploration into the passion and raw talent this duo has to take a reverence for the cinema that has inspired them and channel it into something daring, completely original, 
and absolutely exhilarating. They have quickly established themselves as new leaders in the genre that we all love so much, and we're so grateful as fans for these amazing experiences that they're creating for us. The Boy Behind the Door is available exclusively on Shudder Thursday, July 29th. We are honored to welcome back its creators, Justin Powell and David Charbonnier. Yeah. yeah, we don't deserve that introduction. Oh, what are you guys <laughs> talking about? The <laughs> nicest introduction ever. Like you, honestly, saying that, I'm like, gosh, like I want to see the boy. <laughs> <laughs> there is no reason for anybody to not see the boy behind the door. We we're actually yeah. talking to Brad uh, yesterday about it in advance of this interview, and he was just gushing about how much he loves this film as well. I mean, it, it is unbelievable, and I'll tell you. We've been excited to see this one since its world premiere at Fantastic Fest with all the incredible acclaim. And then after seeing the gin, it just hyped us up even more. And oh my gosh, this thing is everything. It's lean. It's mean. It's terrifying. First of all, just what does it mean for the both of you to be able to have it released in this way through Shudder right into the veins of horror fans everywhere? I mean, it's it's incredible. We feel so lucky that Shudder, you know, saw the movie and, and believed in it and liked it enough to want to have it on their platform and feature it and show it to all their their horror fans. It's it's really cool that, yeah, like you said, it is going straight into the veins of, you know, the target audience that we want to speak to. So we feel really lucky with that and and really excited. It's finally going to be out. Like finally, <laughs> <laughs> Justin, anything to add to that? Yeah, I know. It just, it feels like a really, it's been a long journey to get here <laughs> to actually have it released to uh, the general public. And, uh, you know, Dave and I have both been long time, huge fans of Shudder. So we were just super stoked when we found out that, you know, they actually were picking it up and we're like, oh, this is great. Cause this is like, you know, this speaks to us also personally. So um, we really hope that, you know, other people, when they, they see it land, that they enjoy it. <laughs> it's a dream come true overall. So especially in these times where people are still largely not fully out in the open. Right. So. Now, going back to when we first talked to you in creating The Gin, which ended up being your first feature film that you did make together. And this one was kind of always looming in the background. And at one point, it seemed like you might have thought that it might not have even happened. What was it about this particular story and film that kept you believing in it and rooting for it along the way before it uh, up to it eventually got made? This one, this is a story we came up with. It was, I think that it was back in 2016 that we first developed it, David, if I'm correct. It, it kind of always had a special place in our hearts because we had a couple of projects that We've been trying to get off the ground and being, you know, first time filmmakers, everyone was coming back to us being like, oh, well, those budgets are too big. And like, you guys are, are just starting out. So like, we can't, you know, bring you on to direct this, this and that, um, you know, a whole bunch of different uh, excuses for why we couldn't direct all these various projects. And finally, we had just like dissolved, like, you know, what, screw it. We're going to like write something that like we can just make on our own. And like, we were super naive and knew like nothing about like how difficult it is to make a movie with children we ended up crafting this movie that we thought would be really easy for us to like fund ourselves which made us get really creative i think with the story but then once we finished it and we started to go out to like actually put things together ourselves we're like oh wait like having two kid leads actually makes things really really difficult and more expensive 
Um, but fortunately, we had created this like story that a lot more uh, companies and people were responding to. At that point, we were just like all in, and it's like we're we're gonna find a way to to make this one happen. So. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird way of answering that question. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And then, David, let's go back to the inception of this story, beginning well, beginning with just as writing partners. What's your creative process like just in general? What are the mechanics of that? Is it back and forth? Are you sitting in the same room? Does one person type while the other person kind of bounces a ball off a wall and paces around the room and comes up with ideas and you guys go back and forth? How does it work? Well, we're best friends, so we're always on the phone. Literally before this this interview, we were on the phone. We had another interview, we were on the phone before that. And we just talk all the time. When we come with ideas, it's just usually like a big brainstorming session about what if we did a story with this kind of character or what if someone was in this situation. And it's just fun to be able to, you know, think of these ideas with, you know, your best friend and really sort of, you know, not take filmmaking and writing too seriously, at least in those initial initial fun stages of when you're coming up with the story. You know, we're, we're very collaborative with each other. Yeah, the writing process is also really organic. Uh, we sort of go back and forth on sort of passes at, you know, the treatment and the drafts and just sort of try to divide and conquer I'm envisioning some sort of like a Google Doc or something that goes back and forth that you each are able to get into and add and subtract ideas. Is that kind of what we're looking at? We're kind of old school and simple (laughs) where we have like, we just kind of go back and forth with like at first with the treatment, like a simple Word document, not like a cool Google Doc where we're both sharing it or collaborating. We (laughs) legit just have like one that we then like send back and forth to the other and like we have like, you know, color coordinated like notes between us and we send back and forth uh, until we kind of finally have like a, a final pass. And we do the same thing with a final draft, even though they have a great like collaboration feature, we still just go back and forth with notes and stuff, which is like so stupid because like, honestly, like shout out to final draft. It really is like a good system, but we, <laughs> we like just don't use that feature. We're just too... I don't know. Everyone, I think, has their own process, and this is this is ours. So. Sure. You know, it's working for you guys, so don't change it. Yeah, anything. don't change it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Right. Do you guys find that like one of you is has a strength in dialogue writing, and the other is you know more adept at writing scares, or is it truly just a mesh of the both of you? I think I always tell David that I think that he's better than me at dialogue. I always like get stuck. <laughs> with like what people are saying maybe that's pro- like possibly why like so many of our scripts are so dialogue light but <laughs> i was like I'm like honestly I just shouldn't be saying anything here like just <laughs> was, like partly speaking anyway um but anytime like they they do have to like say something i feel like i always come up with like you know i feel like when you're in like pitches and weird scenarios you have like producers like okay well, this is the bad version. It's like what I write is like, that's the bad version. And then it's like, David takes it and makes it the good version. So, uh, but I think overall, you know, we, we both like are like equal in our, our strengths and weaknesses and we balance each other out. So, Leo, you had a question about just the general conception of the story. Yeah. Was the movie loosely taken or inspired from anything particular you guys have seen in the news over the years? 
Not specifically, I don't think. Maybe subconsciously. Like, we both are really into true crime. And, and unfortunately, you do see a lot of these terrible things in real life. It really started as trying to craft a contained thriller with, you know, these two, two young leads that were, you know, sort of underdogs in this situation. We love stories that center on, you know, underdogs or characters that are underestimated. And, and we really wanted to explore the theme of friendship. I think it, it sort of mirrors, you know, our relationship in a lot of ways. And that was really fun to sort of pull from. And I think that was maybe kind of the first time that we did that so strongly or more directly, I guess. With, with our, our two main characters. What were some of the initial ideas and images that were the gateway into writing the story? Like the first couple things you came up with, or maybe the first even scene or, or dialogue piece that you came up with when you wrote into this? Well, definitely the, the original concept, because we wanted to keep things really, really simple, was like, it was Bobby in the trunk. And which interestingly is not a big part of the movie really, but it was like originally a very big part of like the concept. Um, he was like the first, the first pass in our head, he was like spending the majority of this movie, like in this trunk trying to figure out a way out. And then that evolved through like, that's just, that's just not going to sustain. That's not going to hold. Um, and uh, so it kept getting larger and larger and things just kind of like, I feel like when we come up with ideas, things just come really, you know, organically. So we're like, okay, well, if he was, you know, stuck in his trunk, like why was he stuck in the trunk? Oh, well, they were kidnapped. Why were they kidnapped? Well, really it was to kidnap Ezra's character, but, you know, Bobby, you know, he would have been a witness, so like had to take him too. And so it's just like, little by little, like these, like, you know, just kind of figuring out like, okay, well, this connects to this. It's like always this butterfly effect where everything, every little piece matters, especially when <laughs> you don't have any, don't have much dialogue. So it just, yeah, just kept like ballooning from that original idea of like Bobby in the trunk. So Kevin wasn't even an existing character in our, in our heads in the first pass. But then once we decided that that's when we kind of started to lean in on like, you know, like, oh, well, if they're, like, best friends and, like, leaning in on our own, like, dynamics, <laughs> can figure that out. A big part of this story is this incredible house. Where was that located? That was right here in Los Angeles, actually. No way! Wow. Right next to an oil field? Did you guys, was that CGI or was that legit? It's real. It's all real. Wow! <laughs> Uh, it's very difficult to shoot there because they have a lot of restrictions because of the oil fields and all that. And it's, you know, it's an old house, so they have restrictions with the house itself also. But um, we initially were looking in New York. We had found quite a few locations actually we really liked in, in that area. We'd always in one in particular. <laughs> We'd already started shot listing in our minds. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, the New York thing sort of fell through and we had to, you know, because of the budget really had to look more locally. And we were lucky enough to find a location that fits, uh, that still had that sort of, you know, um, middle America feel to it. The exterior design is pretty iconic and imposing, too. 
just the way the roof line is, for instance, and all the exterior buildings? Did you have to craft? I mean, a lot of the exterior buildings play a big part in the, the playground of tension that, that happens. Did you guys have to construct any of that stuff or was it all just there? All that's there, interestingly. So it was like a, it's because it's a huge, it's like in the Baldwin Hills, Culver City areas, like this huge plot of land on those, you know, on this oil field. And there are all these oil derricks and, you know, additional little structures that are around the house. And, you know, originally the, the, there were some tweaks that we had to make to the script to like, you know, make it fit the location all the oil lyrics and everything were not in the original drafts. Uh, we wrote those and we didn't, you know, I guess we don't really take full advantage of them because that's maybe why we don't, because <laughs> we're like, well, that wasn't really part of their story originally. It was hard to figure out a way to, to incorporate those plus all the restrictions that they have anyway. But like, you know, the general landscape fit pretty closely to what we had originally thought of. So it didn't take too much tweaking to make it work. Yeah, those oil rigs and everything. It just adds to the unsettling surrealness of the whole thing in such a cool way. What about the interior of the house? Was any of that? Did you have to build any of that? They got this wonderful, this hallway oh, yeah. that just seems to go on forever with all these doors and the skeleton keys and vents. Was that crafted or did you work around that? That was all there also. Um, we had a really great production designer, Ryan Puckett, who really helped you know craft the look of inside again with the restrictions one thing like one thing that's always going to haunt us is or that was really traumatic was like the wallpapering so like they wouldn't allow last minute we found out like to really wallpaper so we had to you know put up all the wallpaper with this temporary non-adhesive tape that every day would just crinkle and fall and it's just one of those little things that was just really time consuming in a schedule where we didn't have like a second to spare. And he and his team did such an amazing job. The only thing we actually did build that set wise was um, sort of the attic was one of the rooms was sort of, you know, they added a few pieces to, you know, add in that arch ceiling thing. And then, I mean, I guess you could maybe count the trunk as a set. We were watching. I was like, how did they film yeah. Ilani in the trunk? So that was a built constructed area. But they used a real trunk. Yeah. It was just like sort of deconstructed for the, the camera. Yeah. You could like pull pieces out and like put a camera there. And like, so it was, it was cool. But yeah, everything else in the house is like, like even the attic was, it's so like funny because you watch the moving. Yeah. It feels like, you know, they're, including the basement, it feels like there are like four distinct floors to this house. But really, the basement isn't technically really connected to the house. Like you can't actually go up from the basement. So like upstairs, even though we made it seem that way, you can't like the actual attic where, you know, fourth floor kind of area, you can't really, it's not, <laughs> it's not like a full thing at all. It's very unfinished. So we had to change the whole like reset the whole second floor to become that that floor and that was like a weird moment like on set where it's like okay we have to like make sure that we finished all these sequences because we can't go back <laughs> once we're, we're done so even though we were in just like one location it's like we didn't have the luxury of being able to 
really go back and get anything we missed because like if we did miss something because you know they would have to redress like something else to something within the house to feel like a whole different section so it was a much more complicated shoot than it than we originally thought it would be going in <laughs> so what justin was saying i'm just remembering now the budget was so tight that like once we shot out like a room like they basically had to like take all the props and the the set dressing so there really was no room for error and like oh can we come back and you know shoot us finish a scene with lonnie in the bedroom was no they're taking all the the set dressing out and taking it back to the prop house on tuesday so we did have a <laughs> you know we did have a really really fun um scene on the roof that we had to cut we were really excited about it oh but, wow did you actually film it no, no we didn't get to shoot it it would have been one of the best sequences it's so good yeah we were sad that we had to lose that i mean the movie works without it oh, well, oh hell yeah it does the boo crew will be right back enter death's waiting room if you dare Below the crypt lies the vault of horror. A treasure chest of the macabre filled with madness, voodoo, vampires, torture, and terror. All the things that make life worth leaving. The vault of horror. From Cinerama releasing, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. The Vault of Horror. It has all the things that make life worth leaving. So did you guys have to buy a door? Because in this movie, a door gets really messed up. Like, did you have to bring your own door or were you able to do that to the door in the house? Ryan, uh, Ryan Bucket definitely got a few doors <laughs> that, you know, were, were put there. The, the house is very strict on damage um, and making sure that we would not damage things. That's why they wouldn't even let us put up like permanent wallpaper because they're like, no damage. And I remember it was really complicated because they were a weird size, like the, like the size of the frame. So it was just like, that was such a hassle for him to figure out like, how do I cut this door to actually be the right size? And like, it, it didn't like even sometimes it didn't even like open properly. Did it David? Because like of the sizing issue. I think, I think they just got, well, they also didn't want it to open because once the ax is in it, Mm. it pull open. So they kind of had to fix it shut since we're talking about the axe did you guys get to keep the axe where is the axe right now just curious <laughs> did you rent it did you have to return it the axe i believe the axe was made by i want to say our special effects makeup artist gage and his team but ryan might have ryan with so i thought they no, did, i think i thought it was mitch somebody made the axe we had an incredible team. It was either... Well, I think we worked I together, know, right? Because of the, probably worked together, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that and the uh, that and the electric leash thing were, were uh, pretty amazing. Now, that was definitely Mitch. Yeah. The axe, I think, is with the production company, but I actually have something cooler from the set. Oh, what do you got? What do you got? Do you know what it is, Justin? I don't. It's the thumb. Oh, no way! Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That's oh, crazy. You know, all the cool stuff. <laughs> you know, like, for funny. both of our sets, he ends up with the cool stuff. I mean, to be fair, he and like the gin, he designed the cool stuff, so like, fine. You can keep it. Right, but, he has like, the book, I think, right? Yeah. From the gin? Yeah. The yeah. yeah. We're, we're still going to do the seance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, you know, well, first going back to that uh, the trunk scene with Bobby, that right off the bat gave me such an anxiety attack because the way you guys crafted that sequence, I mean, it plays out more realistically than anything I've ever seen before. Like, he doesn't just jump out and get to be the hero. He jumps out and he's like, fuck, I can't even walk. You know, I can't even stand up. You know, and it's, it's real because, I mean, you're, you're in a cramped space, right? I mean, you know, so, man, right off the bat, that really got me. But there's a lot of great tension in this dark, shadowy house. And the whole cat and mouse game hiding with Bobby and the unknown situation, a lot of it comes down to timing. What were some of the challenges in crafting those scenes? Oh my gosh. There were uh, most of the challenges were, it's funny that you said timing, were just about time that we <laughs> had on set. I feel like, you know, we, we came up with a very detailed shot list and like vision for the movie beforehand with like, you know, the various department heads, uh, especially with our DP Julian in terms of like mapping out every shot that we wanted and kind of how everything would connect in the edit. You know, that's really important to us in pre-production. We kind of view that, you know, as equally important as like, even when we're designing like the story itself or like writing the story itself. So we had a really good idea of how we wanted everything to look and like the timing of it going into it. It was just dealing with the logistics of like, you know, we have five shooting hours with these kids every day, which is insane. And the shoot is all at night. And oftentimes they had to be done by 10 PM. And it's like, well, it's time getting dark until seven. Like, what are we doing? So (laughs) it's just, those are the kind of like real, I think issues we had with like, just executing anything because it's like, okay, well, we know what we want to do, but these things just take, time to do, you know, and fortunately, you know, Lonnie and Ezra and Kristen and just the whole like cast were just so like incredible that like, you know, they got like everything kind of like immediately on the like first take. So it was kind of always just coming down to the rest of us, just like making sure that like the timing of all the shots and like the, any like set deck and props, like everything like came together smoothly on a technical, on the technical end. So just the timing of and having limited time were our, our biggest logistical issues, <laughs> making sure that everything felt good and tense in the end. And David, will go to you for this one. We loved how the heart of this film is this friendship between Bobby and Kevin. And the opening sequences of dialogue between them are really beautiful. Talk about taking the time to achieve and establish that warmth. Um, well, thank you for that. That's that's actually one thing I think we wish we had more time, if we're talking about time, to sort of had developed. And that was that, that part of the shoot was actually really difficult. We were shooting in a park, and 
it was a new it was towards the end of the shoot and i think everyone was feeling a little tired and it was a really really challenging that day was really hard but you know ezra and and lonnie are just so authentic and they had already built a really i think close strong friendship up to that point so at least you know they as always you know sort of delivered and were able to bring it I wish we'd gotten a little more coverage during some of those dialogue scenes. Would have been really great to get a two shot. But, um, you know, again, like you're just fighting against these impossible hours because they're kids, because you're losing the daylight. And luckily, you know, the performance, I think, is, is there. So they, if anything, they, they're the ones that sell it. It's, it's, you know, not the script or anything. The, even that scene in the attic, you know, near the end, just the emotion between those two is insane. It just feels real. Was that scene in particular? I'm just curious about just the auditioning process for finding your two main characters. What were the benchmark scenes that you wanted to see what you needed to see from them to choose them and bring them onto this project? Was it that attic scene? Was it the scene on the grass? The scene in the grass. Yes. Although the scene in the grass was different yeah. Yeah. Uh, at that time, but that technically was one of the, the big ones for the audition. I think the attic was one of them, wasn't it, David? I don't think it was the attic. It was, um, they're talking between the doors. Oh, that one. Duh. <laughs> yeah, that, the, those, are the, those were kind of the two big ones. Um, oh, and the 911 call. Yes, but that was just for, yes. <laughs> what kind of conversations did the two of you have with the team about one thing that you guys do so remarkably and I would imagine it'd be almost impossible to convey but preserving and showcasing the magic of childhood through your decision making your cinematography and execution you do this on both films the gin and the boy behind the door things like obscuring the identity of adults and sometimes not even shooting their heads, just parts of their body or obscuring, obscuring adults dialogue and, and things like that. Yeah, we, we really wanted to maintain a sense of like, you know, this, it's weird to kind of say this because it's such a dark movie, but this like childlike wonder, because I feel like when you have, like, you know, we really wanted it to be from these children's perspectives. And I feel like when you're growing up, you do perceive things very differently <laughs> as a child than you do as, as an adult. And so like, you know, for them, like they know they're in this like terrifying situation, but it's just a very simple, like, you know, who these adults are and all that stuff. Like that doesn't really matter. It's just like, I got to get my friend out. He's like stuck. I got to save him. Like, and so it's like the focus for, for Bobby, since you're seeing everything from his perspective, is just always on that. And so like the, like, you know, the perspective that you see of like not really getting, you know, to see a lot of the, um, you know, the adults per se, and like, you know, getting all the details from the kid is just because you're seeing this from, from Bobby's perspective. One of my favorite sequences that kind of really helps bring that out for me is, is always the, like the phone sequence <laughs> where they're trying to figure that out. You know, I think of, you know, injecting moments like that really helped us inject that kind of like wonder that we were going for. And it allowed the movie that to, even though it has this like really dark subject matter that it's tackling to still kind of feel like this fun, thrilling ride 
you know, that doesn't just bog you down with like feeling depressing. Or right. right. Cool. There's a whimsy yeah. to it. And there's also that scene with, with Lonnie in the car. You know, yeah. you don't think, you know, the kid's <laughs> not going to know how to use a car, right? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, speaking of that scene in the physical parts of those roles, David, can you comment on how that was achieved to do a stunt that looked like a dangerous stunt with young Lonnie in that car? Yeah, that was a really, that was actually a really incredible day for us. That was a day where it started off like nothing was going to go right, but then everything just sort of fell into place. <laughs> I feel like we have to give 98% of the credit for the success of that day to our amazing stunt coordinator, Dennis Madalone. He, he really saved the day and really saved us. There were some complications where the team wanted to really modify that scene last minute. We got pulled into a huddle about how they wanted to do, um, oh, what is the the term oh my god uh i'm blanking on it too term for when the car is not really moving but it's like you have the fake like green screen oh, okay they do it in like fight club and stuff when you have a lot of money it looks good right <laughs> was it poor man's process poor man's process right <laughs> which is interesting you need better money more money <laughs> <laughs> We were really terrified knowing that, like, everything's just been shot in a very naturalistic way. This is not going to look good. But, um, you know, the huddle dictated. So, luckily, we were able to, you know, really work closely with Dennis. And he helped us come up with a plan where we could still do it how we had envisioned it. We did have to modify the scene. It was initially a little bit more, um, a little more complicated. It was a longer sequence. But... He's just such an amazing, like, aside from just being an incredible, talented stunt coordinator, just like the best motivator, cheerleader, like, he's just, like, he's like the kind of people we want to keep working with in the industry. You know, these super, it's not just about talent, it really is about just like a vibe and an energy and being nice, a nice human being and collaborative. It's so rare. And, he, you know, he really worked closely with Lonnie and Ezra and Kristen, you know, and, and Micah, everyone. Everyone had kind of some stunty scenes to make sure everyone was safe and comfortable. And, and you know, the boys did have some body doubles who did some of the, some of the stuff. But Lonnie did do one of those, like, those flips that you see in that car sequence, which is really cool. It was just such a fun, you really could feel the magic that day. We couldn't feel it every day. But that day, we felt it. You definitely feel it from watching your films. Yeah. Just to add on to that, like, because it really was like, because David, yeah, he was, I almost feel like he's downplaying. It was all hope is lost. But like, we, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was like, the sequence was actually significantly different than what it ended up being. And like, that's why like Dennis really came to like save the day. Like the whole like, like jumping out of the car and like, how the car like continues down by itself into the bush like that didn't happen in that way in the script at all. It was still like in some ways more elaborate in the script originally, but because the location was just so complicated and all their restrictions, like they were like, you can't shoot down at the end of the driveway. And so that's why we got pulled into this huddle that he was talking about, like, well, we have to do four man's process. And it's just like Dennis just like, it is just crazy how we had like an hour to figure this out. And, 
<laughs> just... an hour or we would have had some pretty questionable CG windows. It would have not been good. How that went. That said, as we wrap up here, are there plans to work with this cast and crew in some capacity again and to stay in this world of childhood horrors? Definitely. Yeah, we would love to. There's so many people that we want to work with. Again, David's already like mentioned Dennis, but like, you know, there's a large list of, of people casting crew that we'd love to, to keep working with and uh, continuing forward. We definitely want to keep you know, showcasing children in apparel. Um, that's not the only kind of horror we want to do. We do have uh, other things that we want to explore. Um, I think that a lot of our stories depict children in, in peril in ways that hopefully feel like, oh my gosh, no, these kids could actually like bite the dust. <laughs> um, but at the same time, they're not, you know, they're not always like the, the focus of it. So, um, but we want to kind of just, explore various facets of the horror genre, you know, um, be it really grounded, sci-fi, supernatural, just you name it. We're, we're all, it's not torture porn. On that note, are there any existing horror franchises that you guys would love to tackle? I mean, that's a great question. <laughs> I mean, you can't talk about horror, especially like horror that has a strong emotional core, not think of, you know, James Wan in the Conjuring universe. You know, we're such big fans of, of his and what he's done for horror. You know, we also love Mike Flanagan. It's not a, and obviously Stephen King. Um, oh my gosh, we're big Stephen King fans, but we definitely won't be doing an homage like that ever again. <laughs> We've been railed for that. There is a Stephen King property that we really love, but I don't think it, it will ever work out with us. But it, I really it, hope it does. It sort of fits the, <laughs> the benchmark of, you know, child in peril and that nostalgia and, and a strong emotional core and contained. And, oh, we want it so bad. It's not, it's not. <laughs> Our fingers are crossed, man. I know it's going to happen. We'll, we'll think positive. <laughs> And that's it. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 246. Special thanks to our guests, David Charbonnier and Justin Powell. At time of release, their new film, The Boy Behind the Door, is available exclusively on Shutter now. And definitely see their first film, The Gin, to make it a double feature. So good, both these films. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying, Sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting podcast network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.